So, hey, if you all have your Bibles tonight, uh, we're going to sing a song again after this is closes. But open with me to Hosea, uh, and we are going to talk about the absolute ridiculous love of God. And I'm just going to tell you, uh, you have a hard time believing the depth of God's love. In fact, I'm going to say uh, most of us in here don't truly believe it, and we don't truly trust the depth of God's love. Uh, Douglas, I want to thank you so much for sharing your testimony, for challenging all of us. We absolutely love y'all's leadership and participation uh, in our congregation, and so we hope to hear and see more of that. So thanks for stepping up tonight. Uh, this series we're doing this year, we're looking at big truths from minor prophets. And contrary to uh, what everyone thinks, minor prophets are not under the age of 21, as if they want to go out and buy somebody a drink and they say, I can't because I'm a minor. That's not what kind of prophet they are. They're minor because they're smaller, they're shorter uh, than the larger prophets, the major prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and those major prophets. They stayed in the minor leagues, but they're just as significant. And in fact, they give us tremendous truth, big truth. Uh, that it comes from these minor prophets. And so today, as we look at part of Hosea, we're going to see the very big truth that you and I struggle to believe, uh, that God is a God of ridiculous love. His extravagance and forgiveness and mercy uh, is far deeper than we're even comfortable with. Now, Here's the way that the prophets date themselves. You can look at the beginning of Hosea, and you can see um, when Hosea prophesied. He prophesied during the reign of Jeroboam, uh, Hezekiah, uh, Jotham. Uh, uh, that's going to put him right about 750 to 680 B.C. All that is historical background that you're going to be able to find in your reset uh, discipleship groups or your small groups, those notes. We want to empower you to really dig into uh, the historical and the literary context. Um, part of what we're going to read about when we look at God's ridiculous love uh, is the historical uh, reality of Israel's unfaithfulness. And Hosea isn't a normal prophet because he, just, he's, he not only had a message of, from God, the words of God, but he lived the message that he wanted the people to hear. He had a living parable. And so what we're going to look at is the summary of Hosea's message that's lived out in his life. And if you've never read it or never heard it, then you're going to be completely freaked out because it blows the bounds of what you expect. So let's uh, look real quick um, at Hosea chapter 3, verses, we're just going to go 1 to 4, I think. You ready? You all see them? The Lord said to me, this is Hosea, Go again and love a woman who was loved by another man and is an adulteress. <laughs> all right? You see it's a little risque already. Go again and love a woman who's loved by another man and is an adulteress. Why would God call him to do that? Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods, they love cakes of raisins. So I bought her, this is Hosea again, I bought her, the woman, the adulteress, 
for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of lethage of barley. And I said to her, You must dwell as mine. For many days you shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Verse 4. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord, uh, to his goodness in the latter days. Okay. What are you not believing about the gospel? We're going to talk about this parable. But that question came up this weekend. And you might have heard me ask before, what are you not believing about the gospel? I was talking with someone who was dealing with some personal insecurities. They were obsessed with anxiety uh, about their performance. They were consumed with fear about people accepting them. They were uh, deeply uncertain about how they could go forward in a way that had integrity. And I asked them, what are you not believing about the gospel? And they said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, you're so consumed about your own performance. What are you trying to prove that you don't already have proven in the work of Jesus? You're so consumed about being rejected. What are you not believing about the acceptance of Jesus? You're so consumed about security in your future. What are you not believing about the uh, Word of God that says, if God is for you, who can be against you? That nothing can separate you from God's love. No height, nor death, nor angel, nor demon. What are you not believing about the Gospel that's feeding this fear, this anxiety, and this all-consuming uncertainty? This is the heart of the question of what you're struggling with today. You're struggling with it in relationships. You're struggling with it with yourself. You're struggling with it in different areas of your life. And you, you deal with issues. You deal with people. You deal with problems. But you resist to go behind the issues of your struggles, your uncertainties, your fears, and to ask the question, what is it? that you're not believing about the gospel that's actually giving ground for this kind of poison to take root in your life. Hosea helps us diagnose that which we are not believing about the gospel. The woman that God tells Hosea to go marry, her name is Gomer. And we're first introduced to her in chapter 1. The first time Gomer, Gomea, Hosea had already gone to marry Gomer, right? Gomea, it sounds like something that happens to you after you eat the wrong kind of Mexican food. I got a bad case of Gomea. So, sorry. Gosh, man, I just lost everybody. Okay, um, God had told Hosea, go marry a woman of ill repute, a prostitute. And he went and he married. What's up, brother? How you doing, Hunter? It's good to see you, man. We're talking about Hosea. Glad you're here. And so he went and married Gomer. And Gomer was a whore. That's how the Bible describes her. Someone who sold her body for profit, 
someone who, whose livelihood uh, was dependent upon men purchasing her. Uh, someone who was caught up in the uh, social injustice, in the tragedy of being caught in the cycle of poverty, where you have no connections and no other means to make ends meet but to sell your body. And to make it worse, uh, there was Baal worship that was rampant in Israel, and there were cult prostitutes. That people who wanted to go worship the God of Baal, the God of fertility, the God that would give uh, fertility to your land, fertility to your business to give you money, fertility uh, to your family. One way you worship Baal is to go have sex with a cult prostitute in the temple. And so not only was she having to hustle to make ends meet, but she was doing it in a way that promoted idolatry in the land. And the people of Israel in the northern kingdom the target of Hosea's message, were practicing prostitution, or, uh, worship with this woman of ill repute. And Hosea had three kids with her. You can read about it in chapter 1. And all of the names have deep level of significance. And all of the names are actually redeemed. In the New Testament, you can read, Paul actually uses them as an illustration of the power of the gospel. The first kid's name was Jezreel. The second kid's name was No Mercy. The third kid's name was Not My People. <laughs> so Hosea was a prophet, and you think, yeah, I want to be a prophet of God. That's pretty good. That's a good call. What do you want me to do, God? What do you want me to say? I want you to go marry a prostitute. Uh, you mean a woman that overproved? A prostitute. You mean the woman that's been sleeping with a bunch of other people? Go marry her. And then they have kids, and she leaves. She's gone. Could you imagine how Hosea felt? God, I was trying to be faithful. I was doing what you told me to do. I, I risked all my social capital, all that my image, all that I had wanted to work for in my life was gone because I followed you and I married this woman and we started having a family and we got kids and she left. And she is sleeping with people again. She's giving herself away. And God says, go marry her Again, Gomer represented Israel, okay? The prostitute ultimately had a poverty of love and acceptance. She represented a rebellious people that rejected God's love and rejected God's design. And this comes to reveal to us that God's love is greater than any of our rebellion, than any of our impure acts. God's love is greater than the dirtiest, grossest thing you can think of that, has, that you've done, that's been done to you. His forgiveness is ridiculous. And you can immediately begin to see the applications. I feel like I've sinned too much. God can't love me. What are you not believing about the gospel? I feel like I've gone too far away. I've left, I've run too far. What are you not believing about the gospel? I can't forgive this person that has done this. What are you not believing about the gospel? I've got to give everything I have to try to find acceptance. What are you not believing about the gospel? Like, you think you can work your way out of the muck and mire? God offers his, offers his unbelievable, extravagant love. So what is... 
Hosea do to communicate the heart of God? Look at the end. God says, go again and love this woman. She's loved by another man, an adulteress, even as the Lord loved the children of Israel. Go again and love this woman. Gomer was like the prodigal son. She had a home. She had a family. And she turned her back on all of that. And she ran and she followed her own desires. And you know how I know that following her own desires were unsatisfactory, unfulfilling? She continued to give herself away. She gave herself away so much that the description of where she is and where Hosea buys her back, we'll see in a second, is actually the same price that would have been given for a slave. She had moved from being secure in a house with love and a family to being a slave of society bound by just illicit action. She was her own worst enemy. You ever been that way? You ever felt like you're your own worst enemy in your desires? Uh, you have a, uh, an addictive cycle that you can't beat, or you have like a bad habit that you just can't conquer, or you have a, a, a tendency that repeats itself that you just cannot kick. Uh, how many of y'all ever heard of that show, uh, This American Life? Have you ever heard of that? Okay, table for one up here. Okay, a couple of us. All right. Yeah. So there's an episode called My Own Worst Enemy. And you can get it online. It's fascinating. And this guy, uh, Ira Plato, whatever his name is, Ira Plato, Ira what? Pluto? Yeah, Ira Glass. Ira Glass. <laughs> anyway, I was not even close. So he, does, he interviews people who are their own worst enemy. And one guy completely stands out to me. This guy's addicted to shellfish. I mean, he's, he's allergic to shellfish. If he eats shellfish and he doesn't have help within a very short amount of time, he's going to die. So he's allergic to shellfish, but he also loves shellfish. He cannot not eat shellfish. And so this guy will go out and get lobster or he'll eat crab and he'll have an EpiPen on the table. And he has a friend there that if something goes wrong, they'll call 911 for him. And he is literally taking days and months off of his life because he loves shellfish so much. And the whole episode is about people who are their own worst enemies. That what they love and what they participate in is actually killing them. But they love it so much they just keep doing it. Know anybody like that? I don't think I got a table for one on that one. It's a story of my life. That's what the prodigal son story was in Luke 15. He wanted to go out. He loved a life of, uh, of autonomy, adventure, being on his own. He told his dad he wished he was dead. Give me your money. He went off into the far off country. He spent it all on wild, lemon, wild lemons, <laughs> wild living. Maybe some lemmings were involved. But while living, he squandered it on parties and prostitutes. And he lost all his money to where he got to the point of being a slave. And he fed pigs. And he was so hungry that he longed to fill his belly. Completely unsatisfactory. He longed to fill his belly with pig food. He was so hungry. 
This is what happens. We give ourselves to these things that we think that we love, but it's actually killing us. And what's amazing about the prodigal son story is that it says in Luke 15 that he came to his senses and he went back home. And the father is waiting on him. And the love of the father is this unbelievable picture of unconditional love for God. But what's even more amazing about the Hosea story is that God doesn't tell Hosea, hey, go sit on your front porch because that slave woman who's selling herself in bondage who's the lowest level of society, she's going to come home and I want you to clean her off and give her a warm welcome and amend your family. That's not what he does. God says, I want you to show my people how deep and profound and uncomprehensible my love is. And that while she's still giving herself away, while she's still trying to fulfill her heart and killing herself while she's doing it, while she's on the slave block, I want you to go and buy her back. Buy her back? I mean, shouldn't she come home? Buy her back with my own resources. Buy her back with my money. Buy her back with silver and cakes of raisins. Go buy your wife. Unbelievable. And, and, and if you were to identify with anybody in this story, my friends, it's not the hero Hosea. It's the prostitute Gomer. All of us are slaves in our sin. All of us are stuck in the brokenness and the cycles of our addiction and our struggles. All of us need to be bought. How does God show his love through Hosea? He says, redeem her. The word for redemption right there in the Hebrew word is translated to Greek. Uh, the Greek word is lutron. It's an economic term that literally means go buy back. And it's used to describe the work of Christ all through the Gospels. And it has direct implication of our lives and our love. 1 Corinthians 7.23 You were lutron. You were bought with the blood of Christ. Jesus, Hosea, gave silver and raisin cakes and barley. What? Yeah, Jesus gave his life and his blood purchases us back. Hebrews 9.12, the blood of Christ purchases you eternally. There's nothing you can do to change it. In Matthew 28 or 20.28 and in Mark chapter 10, when Jesus is asked, what is your purpose? Like, what's your why? Why are you here? I came to give my life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a lutron, as a payment, so that whores and addicts and drunkards and people that don't have their life together can be bought and secured eternally with my blood, where you can be forgiven, where dead people can be made alive, where broken people can be made whole, where sick people can be made well, where impure people can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. And this is uh, the core of it in Colossians 1.14 and Ephesians 1.7. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to quote. Uh, you can look at those later. I don't have them up here. I'll just quote Colossians 1.14. Okay? 
uh, I say I'm going to quote it, and here I go blanking on it. Verse 12. You were ripped from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, through whom you have lutron, redemption, the forgiveness of your sins. Forgiveness is at the core of it. When you are bought with the blood of Jesus, when Gomer is brought back into the house of Hosea, there's nothing she can do to earn the forgiveness of God. There's nothing she can do to earn the forgiveness of Hosea. She's been bought. She's been brought back. And there's a specific purpose to what end does Hosea redeem Gomer. The implication, God redeeming us. Look at the the power of this. I said to her, said Hosea in verse 3, I said to her, you must dwell as mine. Why did Hosea buy Gomer after her rejection and her rebellion so that she could dwell as his? Why did God want that message to go to an unfaithful, unholy, impure, whoring people? Because the message was, I want to buy you so that you can dwell as mine. Why did Christ die and buy people who believe in him, who receive his forgiveness? Why? So that you can dwell as his. And these verses are unbelievably potent and powerful. God, 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20. You were bought says Paul. You are not your own. You've been bought with, your pri- uh, with a price, the blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when Gomer comes back in the house, she's like the woman who's caught in adultery and goes to Jesus. You remember this in John 8? The story where the people brought the woman caught in adultery to the feet of Jesus and they try to trap him? Do you remember the story? And they say, hey, the law, Jesus, the law says stoner, killer. What do you want us to do, teacher? We caught her having the act of adultery. This woman's giving herself away. And Jesus leans down as if to take the attention off the woman. And he starts drawing in the sand with his finger. And then he stands up. Anybody remember what he says? Whoever's without sin, sin, go ahead, stoner. Whoever doesn't have any sin, go ahead and throw that first rock. Let's kill her. You're right. That's what the law says. And slowly you begin to hear the thud of grace. Have you heard the thud of grace in your life? Stone after stone begins to be dropped. Thud of grace. People begin to walk off. And Jesus looks at this woman. He says, has anyone condemned you? She says, no one. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. But what about, what about all that I was doing to fulfill the insecurities of my heart? Go and sin no more. What about all the actions I was taking to try to prove myself and prove my worth? Go and sin no more. What about everything that I was doing to try to earn a certain status, right? Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. What about all that I was doing with my body that was addictive behavior? Whether that's 
an eating disorder or an exercise disorder or a sexual disorder. Like, what about all those, Jesus? Like, all that stuff you say you forgive him, like, go, go and send him more. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you. And when you're fully forgiven and you're secure in his home and his heart, you are free from the penalty of sin. In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. And I'm going to blow your mind. You are free from the power of sin. Sin has no authority over a child of God. You have the Holy Spirit, the person of God that lives inside of you. The presence of God, the power of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 13, or verse 11, the Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead. That Spirit is verse 13 of chapter 8, is what you use to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Go and sin no more. Jesus reveals himself in, in Mark chapter 2, verse 19, uh, as the bridegroom of his people. And when Jesus is going to come back in Revelation 19, he comes back to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he invites all of you through his work to build upon this ridiculous love. Nobody in here has outsinned God's love. Nobody in here has outsinned God's grace. Nobody in here has gone too far. Nobody in here is defined by your failures. All of us can be forgiven in Christ. All of us can hear the promise. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one can be separated from God's love. All of us can forgive ourselves, can forgive others. All of us can find security in God's love. But we have to build our lives on that love in the context of giving and receiving vows, <laughs> mainly receiving the vows that God's given to us through the work of Jesus. And I, and I can't think of a better illustration than this weekend. Um, a lot of people are on COVID caution right now uh, uh, that aren't here, but uh, Cody and Emily aren't here uh, because they're on their honeymoon. And we had, they had a great wedding this weekend. And Emily, when she came down the aisle, uh, it was like this perfect timing of, I will build my life upon, what is that song called? I will build my life. What's it called? Okay, build my life, yeah. All right, I got that one, right? Yeah, I will build my life upon your love. And she's coming down and getting ready to give and receive vows. And it was this powerful picture of the gospel. Uh, I, was, I was moved just seeing it um, and being a part of it. But I can't think of like a more powerful picture of the groom, Jesus Christ, who looks at, his bride, who is like Gomer, and he says, I've done everything, everything you need to just come home. Build your life on my love. And so in your reset groups, if you're not in one, we really want you to be one, you're going to have some questions that unpack these things. And we're going to encourage you to be honest, vulnerable, get in real relationship, challenge one another. But here's what we're not going to be, a community that's content with having friends that settle for less, that don't believe the gospel. I'm going to love you enough when I see you struggling because you're not believing the gospel, I'm going to tell you that. And I need you, when you see me struggling because I'm not believing the gospel, I need you to remind me of the power of the ridiculous love of God. And we're going to cultivate that together. If you, can't, if you don't want to join a group, that's cool. 
We, we want as many people as we can in groups. Uh, but we hope everybody comes with us on our retreat. We can really celebrate community that way and begin to form more relationships. And here's what I know too. All of you know people that don't know and trust the unconditional, ridiculous love of God in Christ. And I go back to where Douglas started us off. Like this is knowledge that's really powerful. And for us to not share this love with our lips and our lives and all of our labor, it's, it's, it's not loving to others. And so we're going to be that kind of people. All right? So I'm going to close this in prayer when I do. Wes, I know you got a third song. Come on, come on. I want you to play the last the song you just played. Is that okay? Are you up for a twofer? Can you do a twofer? We haven't got lyrics for that. I'm going to pray, and you lead us after that. <laughs> Lord, thank you for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your love. I just pray for people like myself in here. Lord, all of us, when we reject you, we reject your law, we reject your commandments, we reject your design, we give our hearts to the gods of this world. Um, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all of us, Lord, can be made alive together with Christ. And so I pray for people that are struggling that just feel they're too far beyond forgiveness. Uh, they're too far beyond um, restoration and renewal. They, they feel like that they're just, they're just going to be slaves their whole life. I pray that your spirit would ambush them and help them to see that they can be free and then they can return to the love of the Father. And Lord, for those of us that trust your love and that we just have trouble walking daily with you, uh, and I just pray that you would overwhelm us, flood us with your grace. Uh, truly that we'd be a people that build our lives upon your love. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we ask that uh, this closing song would be a prayer from our hearts for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.